Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. And I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where LGBTQIA people proudly share their stories. We're excited to launch Proud Out Loud, which is a limited Pride Month series brought to you by the team at Talk Out Loud in partnership with Tybar. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're here with River Gallo. River is a GLAAD award-winning Salvadorian-American filmmaker, actor, writer, model, and intersex activist. Growing up in New Jersey, River experienced the concept of hiding your true self at times for survival purposes, particularly as a child of immigrants living in a predominantly white area. They also had to hide their non-consensual operation as an intersex team. Beginning to find themselves in the arts, River's dream led them to NYU and eventually to USC. This is where their thesis would become the first ever intersex short film, Pony Boy. And they discovered that they were not alone. Today, River is working to create representation and understanding of intersex people through film, television, and theater. Let's hear River's story. Hey River, how's it going today? Great. How are you? I'm really well. It's uh, it's great to, to be here with you and to get to know you a little bit better. Anthony and I have really enjoyed watching you and, and the things that you've been creating in the world. And But that being said, we kind of wanted to start back like a little bit back in time and kind of get to know you a little bit better like growing up in history and just to better understand what makes you who you are today. So we're in LA, but you just got back from the East Coast, right? Yes. So I just got back from... Three months uh, in New Jersey. That's where I'm from. I was born and raised in New Jersey, and I'm very proud to be from there. I was born in a small town just outside of New York City. My parents are from El Salvador, and they uh, immigrated undocumented to the U.S. in 1980 and moved to New York first and then uh, saved enough money to then move out to the suburbs in New Jersey. And so I grew up. Um, in a very, you know, just kind of very Jersey town, like very <laughs> Italian. And for for a long time, I felt I felt even encouraged by my parents actually to assimilate and to like not necessarily show our heritage in front of people. Mm-hmm. And it was like something that was reserved for like our house and like with our family and. And yeah, that that definitely affected my psychology for sure of like, you know, hiding the the idea or concept of hiding your true self was something that from a, a young age was encouraged by my parents for, you know, like survival purposes. Because um throughout my throughout my childhood, I definitely witnessed like racism, specifically towards my dad, who is, you know, brown skinned, you know has that very Central American kind of like look where, you know, people would think he was our landscaper and not our, not our, not the owner of our house or like, you know, police sometimes would be like, where, where are you going? Like when he was entering his own house. Yeah. You know, heavy. Um, but I, I feel like I had a very, uh, my childhood was very, 
you know, I I I did I did karate. I did like you know, uh, just uh, yeah, pretty typical kind of. But at the same time, when I was twelve, I I found out that my parents told me for the first time that I was born with a condition where my testicles were absent at birth, um, and. I was put on testosterone and in order to go through puberty and very soon after my parents also brought me to like different specialists and 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 mystics and and mm-hmm. kind of um kind of seeking all avenues to help I guess what the theory was that my testicles would eventually descend but they just were never present but they just kind of had this hope for a very long time but um, all this kind of like, you know, constantly showing my genitals to other people, to, you know, doctors or specialists or other people led to eventually an incident of sexual abuse. And yeah, just kind of, can I curse? Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I guess, I guess I just kind of like, Mm, you know, just kind of chucked it out to, you know, these are the cards that I was handed to. But throughout all of this, the word intersex was never mentioned. Mm. And I just thought I was just had this weird medical thing. And then it wasn't until uh, when I was 16, I had a unconsented surgery to have a uh, prosthetic testicles uh, implanted into mm. um, me because the idea was they wanted, you know, me to look completely cisgendered. And, you know, if I had a penis, then it would make sense to also have testicles. Um, and so I did that in secret in high school. And I I remember leaving for like two weeks from class and then coming back and like being on crutches and saying that like I had some kind of like... <laughs> that I pulled my groin on the treadmill oh accident. My gosh. And at the time I thought it was funny, but thinking about it now, it's just kind of like, oh, that's so like, that's so sad that like I went through all that and then like couldn't even be honest about like I'm having a major surgery. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think it was in high school discovering theater that really like, um, kind of changed the course of my life. I, I started doing musicals both in high school and then outside of high school and regional theater. And as many young queer kids who maybe don't know they're queer yet, find each other at doing theater. Right. And that led me to find my love for acting and performing and what led me to then go to want to apply for acting school. Mm. And so, um, I did. I applied. I and got into NYU to the Tisch School of the Arts, which was like, just like I was just. I remember being so tunnel focused. I was like, this is where I'm going, and like, especially living where I'm, where I did in New Jersey. I remember there were places in my town where you could like see the New York City skyline. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it always felt to me like when I was a kid in in high school, like. Like New York was the place where like I could be accepted and that where I'd find myself. And so like there was just, it wasn't just of like my career was, or my career and my life was riding on me getting into NYU and to acting. It was just like everything, like yeah. my acceptance, my 
it's just I just knew I had to go there. Um, and so just out of curiosity, because not because I've known like people where it's been so close, but yet so far away. Were you like at sixteen? Were were you doing like weekend like little getaways over there, or were you you know putting your feet in the water in, in New York at all? Yeah, when I was, I guess, yeah, when I was like sixteen, or my parents would let me go into the city by myself, like with my with my friends. And then when I was eighteen, sometimes I would go um, by myself too, or mm. like go to a concert, or yeah. So I was definitely um, yeah. What did that feel like for for you when you when you would get there? <sighs> Well, thinking about it now, I'm like, wow, that's really bold of my parents. <laughs> yeah. to just be like, yeah, go to New York City. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also just a testament to like just how throughout the college application process, throughout all my schooling, my parents were, you know, they didn't speak English. So like they taught us we had to put the effort to do anything ourselves. And at the time, it was also kind of annoying because I knew like other parents, their, their parents or other kids like their parents would help them do things and like but I think it really taught me like just to be a go-getter and to yeah. just like you know you have to fucking hustle yeah, and yeah. and so yeah I mean I it's funny <laughs> just being a 16 year old in New York yeah um but I I wow I haven't thought about that in a long time yeah. actually just like hanging out at Port Authority, <laughs> um, but I, 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 I always loved, loved going into New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then living there, um, yeah, and going to school there was its own trip. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you, you know. so you get accepted in NYU? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I eventually, I got in, and then I got in not for musical theater, which is what I wanted to go for, but I got in for experimental theater, which in hindsight was like the be one of the best things that ever happened to me because mm. the program was a lot about like finding your own voice, like as opposed to kind of fitting yourself into, you know, the larger canon of musical theater. It was about like figuring out what you wanted to write and like devising your own theater pieces. And I think that's what led me to then screenwriting and then which led me to screen acting was the idea of like, you know, writing the story for yourself or the story that I never thought, I never saw for myself, for myself. Um, but, you know, being in New York was just like, thinking about it now, I'm like, I don't know if I would let my ch children like, live in new york city at 18 years <laughs> old unsupervised like sure. i mean there was just a lot of drugs and <laughs> like yeah. a lot of yeah a lot of partying i'm so i'm curious i know like for myself so i grew up in chicago yeah. lived in the suburbs and same sort of experience like 15 16 started going into the city by my not by myself but with like my friends and going into like those like queer community you know pockets those neighborhoods and i know for me that part of that experience, and now that as like we're talking about this, I'm thinking about like, I don't even know why my parents would let us like go into the city and like, not only that, but we would drive. So it's just like thinking about that. It was like, oh, why would they, but whatever, I'm glad they did. I, I know though, for me being in some of those, those neighborhoods and around like other queer people at the time, the neighborhood was called Boys Town. Now it's uh, called North Halstead to be more inclusive. But I know for myself, it was, and I guess also being part of like the theater program and, you know, in high school and whatnot, I really started to understand and feel like get a better understanding of who I am and like my queerness by being there. 
Do you think that going to the city, like that really did, like some of that exposure start to get you to feel more comfortable with yourself as a queer person? I think so. I think, yeah, I think going into the city definitely helped me feel more comfortable. I mean, at the time I... I had a boyfriend in high school in secret mm. for like two years, and then, uh, and then also had a girlfriend my end of my senior year or at senior year. So, uh, yeah, I guess going into New York helped me feel like, you know, there was so many more different shades of being. Like yeah. there was like you know. I didn't have to be one thing, but I think it was also a kind of, if I didn't conceptualize it when I was there, like look, reflecting back on it now as we're talking, like, yeah, it definitely, I think, infiltrated my psyche for sure. So River, you mentioned earlier about, um, I think you used the word narrative, which is a, a word that I really kind of feel something like someone, someone uses that word. I feel like in my chest, like there's something like a soul level when we talk about the narrative and especially about being able to tell your own narrative, not somebody else telling your narrative. Mm. Was there anything, um, like at NYU at Tisch that like, if someone's listening today who really wants to get into storytelling, uh, directing, uh, writing, producing that like that really has stuck with you in part of your process that came out of that experience. Yeah. It's like, it's like a something that's kind of really hard to juggle and I'm still juggling it with it as well. But it's like the balance of listening to people mm. and also not listening to people <laughs> because it's like, and I think about this a lot. Then when I went to film school here in LA, USC, like, like professors are there to guide you your parents are there to guide you, friends, people that inspire you, to help you p go into like a certain direction. Mm -hmm. But the actual motor of what keeps you going or your navigation system has to come from a very deep internal place that requires deep listening to a system that only you can listen to. Mm. And and I realized that the process of being an artist is like, or just really a human, mm -hmm. is about f working towards finally hearing and attuning to that inner voice mm -hmm. or that inner guidance system, or, you know, one can call it God, one can call it spirit, like whatever that is for you. Like, but that's a personal thing that only. A relationship that only you can develop yeah. and it has to do with yourself mm -hmm. and something larger or deeper than yourself and for me i just realized that sometimes people thought i was crazy for doing certain things mm -hmm. or things things like you know wouldn't weren't going to happen or there were too much they were too big there were i was too different i was too you know but I knew something in me said, no, you have to keep going for this. You have to, you know. And at the same time, sometimes I had really bad ideas. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, I I was like, God, at, at 18, I was actually arrested in New York um, for, for smoking weed outside of Radio City Music Hall. And that was like 
in hindsight, the stupidest <laughs> thing one could ever do. But I was, you know, definitely, you know, if I thought about what my mom would say about that, like, it's like, no, like, don't do that. I'm just any rational person. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, like, yeah, I, I would say that's that's like the biggest lesson that I've learned is just like how to find that counterbalance between listening to the system, your community of people that you trust, and also sometimes saying, fuck that, I have to listen yeah. to, you know, myself. Yeah. Well, there's something where, so in listening to people who are guiding you, it's like when you listen to the, to I don't want to say the right people, but people who are in tune and understand what it is that you're trying to achieve. I feel like there's, there's a difference in listening to those people versus like listening to someone who thinks that they know what's right for you with really not taking into account what it is that you're feeling and, you know, trying to work towards. I know like for myself, there's just been times where like I've done things where same kind of thing, like people thought I was crazy for doing, you know, things that I was doing. And it was like, I just knew deep inside that this is like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I stay the course and maybe I like made mistakes along the way, but part of like that journey and that process is when you make those mistakes, you learn, you can't just learn from people yeah. telling you, yeah. you know? So it's like, I don't know, like I didn't get arrested for smoking weed, but you know, I've done like some silly things in my life. And like looking back, like there's some times where I'm like, how am I still alive? Right. <laughs> like, how did I make it home that night? Right, right, but it right. like, it just, part of that though is part of the experience to make, you know, each one of us who we are today to be able to keep going on that path that we're following or that we're being guided, you know, to do, which I guess, you know, the way that I look at it, it's like, that's, I'm just following my destiny. I'm, right. You know, I'm here, I'm only here for a short amount of time and I'm supposed to be doing a certain thing. And when that voice tells me it's time to do something, I follow it. And whether or not I have support of everyone in my life, I think, um, you know, just not everybody's on the same wavelength and not everyone is in tune with what that, you know, that is inside them. So it's just being careful on who you listen to. It's a good reminder. You said earlier, um, you know, God, spirit. And I think about like a boat, right? Like it's got a, you know, a motor that's below the surface. Mm. And sometimes like the water can be smooth as glass. And then down below that there's this propulsion system that's really Mm. working hard. I like that. Right. And, And so like, I really, identified with like we talked about like and for me sometimes a source source can also be a word that can fit that that blank because sometimes i have like these preconceived ideas about god from childhood that don't quite make space for what i'm feeling Mm. and i i think that you know i like how you talked about how as an artist but also as a just as a human Human. like we're all living breathing things that have the ability to tap into that and i think sometimes that when i start to realize that like the world's like not the, the, there, there can be this thought, pro- I've had both thought processes where like, it's just, I'm just living in this world and it is what it is versus that the world is all growing and evolving mm-hmm. and I get to be part of that. Mm. So I have to keep, you know, there's that, there's that reflection within myself to be like, what, what, is, what is the world asking me to, to contribute, to transpire? Mm. Because sometimes when other people don't have, aren't hearing the same thing, getting the same message that I'm getting, it doesn't make sense but those can't be my sounding blocks either because then that source is not manifesting in my life um, in, a, in a way that, you know, we're gonna talk more about what you've, what you've created it. And obviously this, this source, whatever you choose to call it, has been manifesting in really, really wonderful, beautiful ways in your life, right? So I think 
then that kind of brings us like to USC. You come out here to LA to go to USC and, and you got your master's, right? Mm-hmm. So actually during your master's, you had a thesis that you worked on. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I came out to LA after going through some pretty serious health stuff after graduating NYU and just kind of feeling like not knowing if I would ever be able to act again. Mm. And that kind of, in addition to before that my health crisis, just a lot of agents and managers not knowing really how to typecast me or like how to place me. So it was like a combination of like, okay, well, I guess I need to learn how to write and direct and be a filmmaker because the parts aren't there for me. And then the combination of this health crisis was like, okay, well, maybe I will never be able to act again. So I have to focus on being behind the camera. Mm. So yeah, so I just Googled what's the best film school in America. And I saw that it was USC. And so I applied there and then I got in and I was like, that's, I've never heard, (laughs) I had never heard of it before, but uh, before I Googled it and I, it was a dream to come to LA. I think also just being like in New Jersey and in New York for like my whole entire life to then like make that journey that, you know, mythologic American mythologic journey west to <laughs> California. Um, and I, at first, I felt like at USC, I was trying so desperately to do things that would please my professors. And Mm. a lot of the teachers at USC and probably at most film schools everywhere in the world are men and Mm. cis men, Mm. white men. Mm. And I think for a long time, I was just kind of like losing track of like who I was. And like, it was during that time of when it came my third year when I was going to write my thesis, which ended up being my short film Pony Boy, that I wanted to include part of my story of growing up with this without testicles, which at the time I didn't know was called, it was an intersex variation. And so through writing Pony Boy, I I decided to Google and, and research more about the variation I was born with and then discovered the word for the first time and discovered that there was a community of people and I just, um, you know, felt so happy and also just so enraged Mm. that after all those doctor's appointments, like hundreds, no one had said that there was a group of people that had similar experiences than I. Mm. And no one had at any time offered any psychological or emotional support. And it was just completely like, we're just going to treat you know, your hormones and your genitals and you'll be fine. And so it, but it also gave me a fervor to, to that this movie was so necessary to make. And, and at the same time, I was like, you know, this whole time at USC, I may or may not have been my whole self. And if this is the last thing that I'm going to do before graduating, like, I'm just going to go, no pun intended, but balls to the walls and, you know, just kind of like, I'm going to act in it and I'm going to direct it and I'm going to write it and I'm going to do all the things, even though my professors were like, you should just concentrate on one thing. Like you shouldn't, it's too much, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, no, like I have to do, like, I just knew that my whole career was like, that I needed to leave this school after paying at, at a 
insane <laughs> amount of money um, that I needed to leave this school, not just with the degree and the, and the diploma and the, you know, the name attached to to it, but also with a work of art that would represent my entire my entire being as an artist. And that was really important to me. And so the film Ponyboy came to be with the help of one of my closest friends, Shade Clock and Joseph, who helped produce it and helped me co-direct. And Seven Graham, who, you know, y- y'all interviewed as well, produced it. And, um, and a, a friend of, who became a close friend too, who also went to NYU with me, Kristen Laffey, and we all made this film. And like, it was, you know, it, it changed the course of my life because it ended up being the first film to achieve this level of recognition that was written by and starring and created by an intersex, an out intersex person. And it was just wild to me that that had never been done before. Yeah, And I just couldn't, it's still weird to like think about that. And, but it's just a testament to how much, how, how deep the shame and the stigma is around being intersex that I'm sure there's been intersex or there are intersex actors and and filmmakers who are just not out and just, and who have created probably things that we all know of, but they're not out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Your your friend seven uses a, a, the example that there are as many intersex people as there are redheads. Yeah. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that that for some people that, that just to understand that, you know, it's even like when, for instance, uh, when someone is has a role in society, we used to say, "Oh, the first intersex, or the first trans, or the first gay," and now we've we've changed the the language. Now it's like the first out trans, right. the first out you know, obviously gay was a while ago, but you know, first out intersex person. I, I remember as a kid working at a country club, and it was apparent that there was someone, a, a kid uh, that was at the, at the club when we that was it was intersex, and I was like. And we no one ever talked about it, right? Like we, we knew because we some, something took place, and and then I've had conversations over the years with people that are, are good people that when it comes to binary things, oh, this is you know the paperwork, the hassle. It's like, well, but no, these, these people e- exist, right? And uh, I think it's important also to you mentioned earlier is that I believe that intersex is an umbrella. There's a lot of different people that may not have the exact same experience that you had. like when you realized that there were other people like yourself what did that feel like for for you or or when you started connecting with people like yourself Uh, it was just like a quantum leap change Mm -hmm. for me like I growing up and recently last year I found like my journals from when I was 16 like either post operation or before but it was just so harrowing and lonely and sad and like just you know suicidal and like i think it's the loneliness that really kills you know figuratively and not figuratively intersex people and all people really yeah, mm-hmm. i agree with you um, yes. yeah. that isolation i think i think there's going to be a lot of consequences a sidetrack from intersex from from like the pandemic this year mm-hmm. and yeah. th- there's going to be like what has occurred this last year specifically because of the 
you know, isolation and loneliness people that, that people have experienced, we're going to feel the reverberations of this for years to come. Yeah. Even so much so, like I was on set yesterday doing a photo shoot where I like just didn't like, obviously I know how to talk to people, and like, <laughs> but I just, for yeah. I just didn't know how to absorb everything that was happening. Like I was yeah. just so conscious of how I was speaking and, and yeah. where I was in space. And I was just like, this is so weird right yeah. now. But back to intersex, Um, (laughs) I I should say the definition in case someone's listening. And uh, intersex is is an umbrella term for people born with, you know, variations in their body that that don't fit the typical definitions of male or female. So um, it's variations in genitals or in in hormones or in in chromosomes. And it's essentially just a, a, a non-binary sex. It's not really one or the other. And and but in that in that there's a spectrum of different over forty different variations of how one can be intersex. And as you say, there there isn't one experience to be intersex. But I think we're all ties us together or brings us together is is the fact that we've all to some degree experienced shame and stigmatization mm. specifically by the medical industry who has positioned the being intersex as something that needs to be hidden and something that needs to be fixed mm. and for some people and the complicated thing is is that some intersex people do identify as cisgendered or or heterosexual and liked their surgeries and and liked the fact that they can fit in but and and don't want to be included as part of the um lgbtqia plus alphabet but i think that's an inherently transphobic position because it's it's i don't think i think inherently being intersex is a queer experience because mm-hmm. in some way you are othered and to not stand in solidarity with those people that also feel that way too I think is 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 a disservice to your own experience mm-hmm. being intersex because it's not easy. Even if you do identify as cis, and you know, right. it, it's still not easy to have your body constantly observed and looked at when you're younger, and not have a clear path on treatment and and yeah, and and how everything is is a bit antiquated in in how to treat intersex people that sometimes people are put on hormones and and find out later in their life that they that was not the right hormone. And like, um, it's just not enough research has been done by the medical industry of, of how to treat intersex people. And I think that's due to just wanting to hide the fact that this even is an anomaly that happens because mm. I, I say anomaly, but it's not even that much of an anomaly. No. It's like you know, two percent of the population are intersex, right. so it's yeah. like that's still lo- that's millions of people. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And, and I think also the, the to bring dignity to that too, right? Yeah. You know, they oh. should teach. You know, it it should be taught. I remember being in high school biology and learning about like you know genetic diseases or whatever and and knowing uh, that there were certain like xxy or x and like yeah. you know but it was not presented as intersex right. it was just like these freak things that yes. happen yeah. that can happen 
But it's like, it should be presented as like, you know, people can be male, female, or intersex. Yeah. yeah. And people can identify, you know, their gender can be male, female, trans, non-binary. Like this, yeah. those, these things right. should be presented because they're not... Right. If, well, because they, they exist. Well, <laughs> they they exist. exist. It's reality. Right. It's what it is. And you mentioned biology, right? So like, right. you think about like, when we, when we learned like... We were watching a, 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 something on television, a movie last night, and and the, and the boyfriend leaves and leaves uh, is his or, sorry the fiance leaves, leaves the fiance and goes away and he's like in somewhere in a, in a foreign forest studying like a new creature or whatever and they're documenting it right so and what I mean by that is is that as human beings we're all expression of the divine we don't question a, a flower because it looks different or it smells different um, and this is a horrible comparison I'm not trying to but I'm just trying to so why is it with people. You know that we think, oh, this is we, we wouldn't do that with anything else. We would force it and say, no, you're going to be like this. Right. That, I don't know if that makes sense. At no, all. totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. flowers are intersex. Yeah, like yeah, flowers are <laughs> literally have both yeah. sex organs. Like yeah. you know, I don't forget what it is—the stamen and the yeah. whatever. <laughs> well, and actually, the the the, the, the it's actually Shit's Creek. To be honest, we're watching Shit's Creek mm. last night just for some old feels, and he discovers a mosquito that can mate with itself. Right, yeah. you know, and it's inter- it's you know, so it's right. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it was to be. Literally, there's so much variation in nature itself, and I think that's part of the reason why lately I found such solace in nature because it feels yeah. really like also an inherently queer space mm-hmm. in that it is always accepting of all that is mm-hmm. and never judging anything yeah. because it just. It just it's, is. It yeah. just is. And, and the closer yeah. you get to that, you realize how it all relies on each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, 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 I had, I was on a farm for a few years and, and it was just to lean in close and to see, Oh, like this thing connects to this thing that connects to this thing, whether it's pollination with the bees or the way, um, you don't want to plant the same crop in a, in a field one year mm. versus the other year because there has to be this healthy rotation and balance. Yeah, and how we all need each other. Yeah, is what it really comes down to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You so you were saying earlier um, about sort of this group of intersex people who identify as uh, maybe identify as cisgender or I don't know any actually. Okay, but, no, but I, we, I I know of intersex people who identify as cis but still feel part of the LGBT community. Prior, yeah, okay. community. So, but what you said I don't talk to any of the other ones. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just never met any. Yeah, there's no wall up. Yeah, yeah, there's no wall up. But I yeah. So, um, but I think w- what you said was you know some of those people were uh they're happy with their surgeries right Right. there's people out there that are happy with their surgery but i think the key thing there is that everybody deserves a choice so and i know like you and a lot of other you know intersex people that we hear their stories they never had the choice to either have their surgery or not Mm -hmm. so um and obviously there's this whole struggle with the medical community whether it's not talking about this or just saying we can fix this with surgery you know that that's like their mentality of it what do you think is a process or what what do we need to be doing to combat this and combat the medical community for approaching intersex people with you know saying we can correct or we can fix or whatever their terminology is what do you think we have to do that is a great question and it is i mean it has to be addressed on so many levels not just of you know the medical industry but i guess what i can speak of is like also on a cultural level and you know it just needs to be more visible and yeah. it needs to 
how can people have any compassion or empathy towards something that they've never they've never experienced or they've never or they've never heard of like one thing is i think on the levels there's levels of visibility is like for people to know the defi- the word and the definition and can you know explain it to somebody else right another level is like knowing somebody mm-hmm. another level is consuming media mm-hmm. that has intersex people whether that's a book whether it's a tv show whether it's a film so i think all those things need to happen because they haven't been happening right because how how the, right now the the medical industry has so much strength and yeah. so there was in 2019 a bill proposed in california to make to delay intersex surgeries and there was one I believe California senator who who essentially was like on the fence about whether he was going to vote yay or nay for the bill and then the night before the election received a $50,000 donation to his campaign from like the California like either pediatric urologists or like wow. so it's just like so it's all how can money. you really fight some and this is in progressive california like right right but at the same time there's also been victories in in specific hospitals one being lurie lurie's children um who have uh vowed to apologize and also like you know kind of relook and and um put a moratorium on on the surgeries right now yeah and i believe they've also have brought in an intersex doctor a doctor who is actually intersex as well Mm. too so that just exactly what you're saying is this understanding of of you know letting the people be involved with the product you know have your own narrative you talked about narrative earlier that's just another example as a doctor with that narrative yeah and i i think that you know i I mean, I think we honestly have to just, we haven't said this today. We've, we've said this in other episodes that Anthony and I, because of Pony Boy, we were at, you know, at, uh, you, you, debuted, you debuted at the Tribeca Film Festival. Is that right? Yeah. And then you also, um, I know you were in numerous film festivals, but specifically Anthony and I got to see uh, Pony Boy at uh, Fusion Outfest here in LA. And we were dreaming of this project and what it was going to be like. And we specifically, because of seeing Pony Boy, we were like, we need to include intersex stories in, in talk out loud. And, and so I think, I think I need to be humble to the fact that like, I'm not just like woke. I, it's because I happen to have the luxury of being able, not the luxury, but I had the opportunity to go and have an experience with Pony Boy that then made you familiar and that changed my understanding. Totally. And, and, um, and so I think that being able to uh, have like the work you're doing, how important it is yeah. for it to be familiar. Yeah. To yeah. take that fear away, that, that unknown. Totally. It's crazy how it's something I've been often struggling, especially as like, you know, the child of first generation immigrants of thinking like the work of art is secondary to being a doctor or a lawyer or all these other things. But at at the same time, though, it's art that pushes culture forward. It's art that changes people's hearts and minds that then allows empathy and and empowerment to occur for then legislation to catch up and yeah. make changes yeah. like art and culture film and tv are always 10 or 15 years ahead of where legislation needs yep. to be and it's because it takes that 
psychological and emotional change for people to have in order for then for people to give a shit about yeah. other people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, you look at like other like subsects of the community. Like you look at like back in like the early or like mid nineties, like when Ellen came out on her sitcom totally. and like what that, what that did, the ripple effect that that had, I mean, the show got canceled right. in part because of that, but then it allowed, it paved way for like shows like Will and Grace and Queer as Folk right. and The L Word. And then it wasn't then, until 2012 right. that, which was literally 15 years later. Right. So it's like it, but to it's so, point, yeah. Yeah, to your point, but it's, that's why it's so important that, art and TV and film that these characters exist so that the rest of the world can see, you know, cause in some respects, I mean, we're, I, I mean, we live in a, a bubble in some respects living right. in, you know, Los Angeles and, you know, not everybody gets the diverse culture that, you know, we have. But part of that is, is that we, where you're going to be able to see those characters are on TV and film. Right. And that's why well, it's just so important for like the work that you're doing and other artists are doing now to get those characters in front of people's eyes so that there is this familiar vibe, you know, uh, for those characters. And I, and I would just add one more thing to that is, is yeah. that because of Pony Boy and, and the work that you're doing, and these conversations are becoming more known, the people that are intersex that are in these smaller towns, it becomes easier for them to step out and be themselves. Yeah. So then yeah. someone can have a real life experience. They can, you know, they can have, watch Pony Boy. They can see some of the other work that you're doing. And then also then have a real life experience with their neighbor that they didn't know who was yeah. possibly intersex, right? Yeah. You know, we, we think we're so advanced, but we're still like, we've still got like this monkey brain wrapped around a lizard brain for survival <laughs> that wants to speak first. And it wants to say, cause you know, it protect us from like burning ourselves when we were kids. But that instinct, it, it actually becomes a disservice to ourselves and we run over people in the process. And so if we can, you know, sell those stories, get comfortable, get familiar. Oh, I get, I get, my, my, I get excited about these kind of things. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> if people want to see Pony Boy, they can, they can access that today. Yes. Yeah. It's online. It's online. It's on the Amaletto YouTube channel online. And yeah, I mean, I think to your point, as hard and challenging as it is to tell intersex stories, even to do interviews like this, like, you know, it, it brings up, you know, the conversations of trauma and like whether I want to discuss that today or not. Or at the end of the day, though, there are so many people because of whatever interview I did or, or seeing Pony Boy that have learned about intersex or yeah. learned themselves that they were intersex. I have yeah. like two friends that didn't know they were intersex before meeting me and before I became vocal about my identity. Yeah. And I just, I'm so humbled that that, you know, that my journey could then inspire other people to start their journey. And that like, that this is happening, that this revolution is really happening. And, you know, I say revolution and, and I don't mean that lightly. I feel like this is really the next step in not just like, you know, the gender revolution or for queer rights, but like in human consciousness really. Yeah because I think what intersex people really represent is, is the truth of not being binary. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, this, as seven goes on and said, this Adam and Eve complex, it goes much deeper than, yeah. you know, cause it goes into good versus evil us and just them. Dualism. And it's just like, yeah. exactly. And it's just literally that the next 
stage of our consciousness is one where we realize that we're all interconnected and mm-hmm. and realizing that intersex people are are like this this bridge to mm-hmm. that that it's not just male and female mm-hmm. there are other variations of being yeah. And there, there's something holy about like or whatever you choose to use. If that, if that word is, is uh, stigmatic to somebody, I apologize. But there is something about three when you have, and I'm, and I'm not saying that intersex is just one thing. We know it's multiple things. Right. But just for for today, I guess, is it that there's three that taking away that dualistic approach to things? It almost feels like if you've had like a blockage somewhere where where there's been a block. And I feel like when you add that into the conversation or the equation, things just flow like they're supposed to. Mm. I mean, I, I literally feel it in my in my bones when I say that. Yeah. And when I've been around, especially over the last couple of years, being able to have more experiences with trans and intersex folks, that I'm like, wow, the world is even more special than I ever thought it was, or, or mm. beautiful. Maybe that's the word I'm mm-hmm. looking for. And, the, and the, the life force that maybe as a culture, as a society for hundreds of years, we've had blockages. And there has been other cultures years past that have had you know a seat at the table for intersex people that have celebrated right. that. So this is not a, a new, a new thing because sometimes Definitely. I think that that's the argument. It's like oh no, no 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 this has just been this way forever. It's just bringing back the dignity and allowing the, the what life really is to to manifest itself. Totally, um, totally. And I I mean you know at the end of the day it's oh you know just a product of patriarchal mm. capitalistic yeah. ideals because there's money in yeah. treating intersex people like a medical you know right. Right. quote unquote deformity that needs to be fixed yeah. right and i think that it's worth noting is, is that when we start to talk about intersex and trans and humans that um you've got one side where they're saying that these people have to have the surgeries for intersex and then you've got other like where you've got kids that we know that if they go on hormone block, they're trans specifically, hear me out here, is that if they go on hormone blockers at a younger age when they know that less damage can be done and dysphoria can, can be saved. And, and as a society, some of the people that have, quote unquote, the power to make, to make the decisions want to have it bo- like both ways, right? Like right. say over here, we're not, but over here, we're going to. And uh, when we start to tell these stories and you get to see, it's like, whoa, what's really going on here with, right. with, with that? There's a lot of puppet strings. Yeah, well um, said. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's pretty pretty insidious, honestly. But I think for me, and sometimes it really, I mean, as you were saying this, I'm like, wow, it's just, it just goes so deep that it makes me just feel like the work of film and TV just matter all that much more yeah. because you could explain something to someone or someone could read a book and. But it's, there's something, and I think this is what drew me to, well, first theater, but, and oh my God, an intersex play would be amazing. I'm actually working with Seven right now to to create, uh, to helping develop an intersex opera based on the memoirs of Herculean Barbin, who was this uh, French intersex person from the 1800s, mm. who has this amazing, like, tragic, like, story, but so beautifully written that, I'm really excited about, but I bring that up because it takes narrative. It takes going on the journey of a story that really can allows people to better absorb and mm-hmm. and feel it in their heart, as opposed to just being told or reading an article or reading a you know. Yeah. It really takes that leap of 
of, of an artistic expression to really, you know, get into someone's soul. If you look back at some of the most amazing storytellers in the world, they've been spiritual storytellers that, you know, have helped us as a society, you know, go back to empathy and love. There's something with the mind we're able to just relax is when a story is being told that the desire to judge for some reason is removed. It's like, yeah, you're, it's, it's like your, your, yourself gets dissolved a bit and you could just kind of actually be present with something else and be just, yeah, in, in a different psychic space. And it's something that I talk about a lot about what inspires my art. And yeah, I'm really just interested in, yeah, those psychic dialogues with my audiences, like where you just kind of like, I don't know, where things, where you can meet your own reality with with a reality that you've yet to discover and they can both have conversations with each Mm. other. Mm. A third kind of space. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. You know, you mentioned nature earlier. What what else helps you connect with with that? Or like, especially even with COVID this past year, has there been practices that have been good for you? Yeah, uh, during this past year, I've actually gotten sober and oh, gotten into recovery, and that has been really transformational. In that, I think a lot of queer people, I maybe mean, I could just speak for myself. I just had so much trauma from being intersex and and then also from them coming out as intersex and not realizing the effect that that had on me. I think in 2019, um, when y'all first met me and I, you know, was going to all these festivals and was just like talking my ass off about being intersex in front of all these strangers in front of the world and showing my movie around. I think it wasn't until 2020 that I realized like, oh my God, like, what did I do? Like, <laughs> like what was I, what was I, like, I like definitely like backtrack for a second. I was just like, I, I didn't realize the psychological implications that all of that exposing of myself mm. did to me. And, and, you know, I was using drugs to combat that. Yeah. And I, you know, taking that away was just insane. And I, it, I didn't know how deep it, it all went. And, and I think I'm learning now, like, to trust people more, to, to trust in source mm-hmm. and in God more. And that, you know, there are so many questions. There's so much to be done, but right now I could just really do the best that I can yeah. Yeah. today. And and I think that has so many implications for you know me as a filmmaker who wants my who's working on you know the feature film of Pony Boy, and I want it to get done. I want it to get done so badly, like now, now, now. But I just know it's gonna happen in the right time, and it is already happening. And and like I want to get to the to the root of my trauma and like a- apologize to my father and like all, you know, just connect with, you know, everything that I ran away from in New Jersey. And I know that I'm on that journey to do that. And it's just, you know, it's, it's one that has to be done in the most loving and gentle way as possible. Yeah, yeah. And I think for a while I, I just had this anxiety of like that, time was like running out and i mean i still uh, do i had like yeah yeah, yeah i <laughs> earlier this week had a little 
stumble. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, but I, I guess being in recovery and 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 just getting in touch with like people like me and and forming community and just actively trying to be more in the frequency of love, even though when I really don't fucking want to be, <laughs> has yeah. is it's just been so. Mm. It's the best thing that's ever happened yeah. to me, honestly. Yeah. yeah, that's so that's, good. I'm so happy yeah. for you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's really great. You know, what you just said is that, you know, you want things done now and you want to be able to, you know, accomplish things. And I know for myself, I'm like, I'm like a, a, a task list, like checker. Like I just love being able to like cross things off a list, you know, and just say like, you know, checking boxes and making things happen. And it's frustrating when you're not able to, get those things done. And it's frustrating when you're not able to push through. But I think like, even like with this platform, with this podcast, you know, originally it was going to be something that was going to start in 2019, but because of, you know, a variety of set of circumstances, it wasn't able to come until we actually went through the pandemic. And that was something that, you know, Jeff or I never saw happening. So I think with all, all things, projects, work, business, personal relationships, everything, you know, comes in its, its due time. So it's just a, as you were talking through all of that, I was kind of like telling myself, chill out, dude, like things are going to happen in their own time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I do, I do just want to ask you, obviously as a, a, a filmmaker and as an actor, there's, you know, projects that you're going to be working on and, you know, different things that you're going to be doing. Is there a dream role that you'd like to play or like to create for yourself? Wow. <laughs> dream role. Well, I'll say I've always wanted to be in like a period piece. Hmm. I don't know what period. It's <laughs> <laughs> somewhere. But somewhere, I think it'd be fun to be in a corset. And, um, I guess I like, I want to play things that just like, like that are like super raw and like just, I'm really interested in playing characters that are like, are like slightly unhinged or like, you know, disturbed in some kind of way. Yeah. But are just really trying their best to... Yeah to get in touch with their higher self. Mm. And like, I, those are the stories that really attract me and just like, you know, ones of like redemption and like that journey, like through mm. the darkness yeah. into the light. I I've, I will say I always, no matter wh what role I have, my dream has been to host Saturday Night Live forever. Like I, if you know when like those inspirational books that talk about like oh think of like whatever thing that gets you excited to like I'll like sometimes <laughs> in the bathroom like uh, but it's fucked up though because there's a binary line in it they say ladies and gentlemen yeah please welcome River Gallo but yeah. always I'm like oh how do how would I tell them to do that yeah. That. But I still say it that way. I, yeah. I, in, the, in the bathroom, I like run, and then I run out, and I do, <laughs> and then I do a, like uh, a little hop, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then I pretend to start doing an opening monologue. But that that gets me going. And I, I there's very few things. And, and talking about control and wanting to get to places, there is like, I I don't know how my career is going to go, and I don't. And and lately, I'm like, you just gotta yeah. surrender it all. 
but I know I'm going to host Saturday Night Live. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. like, I know that's going to happen. So I'm like, I don't even worry about that. Like, just right. like, It'll just come. keep doing your thing and then that'll happen. Yeah. yeah, that'll be quite a treat. I don't think it gets any better than that. No, yeah. because the thing is, when you host Saturday Night Live, it means the rest of your career has gone so well uh-huh. that like, it doesn't like, you know, it means that you're promoting a movie probably. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah, why yeah. you're on it. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, a culmination of like a lot. So yeah. I'll know, yeah, that'll be a great Saturday night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. From getting arrested to smoking weed to Right. Oh my God, right outside. Exactly. So, you know, you were knocking on the door. But that but you know, that patience and wisdom is has come in the meantime, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. River, this has been so wonderful. You just getting to chat with you. We really appreciate you taking some time to just spend some time with us. And thank you so we, much. We will be patiently waiting for you and what's coming in your life. I can't wait to see you in Saturday Night Live. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks so Had much. a great time. River's reminder to be the narrator of our own story and to lean into the voice deep inside each one of us is something we can all benefit from. You could find links to Pony Boy, the first ever narrative film about an intersex character, and more of River's work on their profile page on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. To catch up on past episodes and learn more about our past guests, visit our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store and browse our online bookstore curated with our guests' recommended books. Thanks again for listening, and remember, be true, be you, and to talk out loud.